Some say we're a more divided country than ever. The British people have spoken and the answer is, we're out, we're out, we're out, we're out. Since the EU referendum, much of our public debate has split the country into two camps, Leavers and Remainers. Others say young versus old is the most important divide in British politics. If you're older, you were more likely to vote for Brexit, and if you're younger, you were more likely to vote for the Labour Party in the general election in June. Often these things are mapped onto levels of education. If you went to uni, you might be more likely to believe certain things and vote in particular ways, or maybe the big divide is class. Has the divide between the middle classes and the working classes grown over the past few decades? But what if there's another big divide in British politics that we're not talking about? Is the key to understanding social division in the UK today actually where you live? My name's Aisha Thomas-Smith, and that's what we're here to discuss today in a very special weekly economics podcast. We're in Portcullis House, over the road from Parliament, with a very special guest, former Shadow Cabinet Minister and Labour MP for Wigan, Lisa Nandy. Welcome to the podcast, Hello. Lisa. Be gentle. <laughs> it's lovely to have you, fellow Northerner. Uh, I'm also joined by the New Economics Foundation's very own Director of News and Media, William Brett. Welcome back, Will. Very good to be back. Nice to have you. All right, so... Well, you're the co-author of a new report that's all about the divisions between cities and towns. So first of all, can you explain what that means? Um, how are towns and cities divided? Sure. Well, I suppose the first thing to say is that cities and towns are always going to be divided in some sense, right? They're very different types of place, attract very different types of people, very different types of economic activity. But we've done this work with um, Will Jennings, a professor of political science in University of Southampton, and he's shown uh, two really interesting things. One is the degree to which uh, economic decline is concentrated in towns as opposed to cities. And the other is the degree to which that is mapping onto our politics. So um, over the last, particularly the last 12 years, we've seen a big divide in our politics between towns and cities where ta- those who live in towns much more likely to vote Conservative, those who live in cities much, much more likely to vote Labour. And that gap has grown enormously um, recently, and that's what the report shows. And in an age of quite serious division, we think that that's an important thing to think about. We think, we think it's time to start thinking about cities and towns um, mm-hmm. as the place where division is taking place. Mm. And so what do you think are the roots of that division that you've been talking about between cities and towns? So, so when you look at the way that the economy has developed over the last few decades, so much of the activity and energy and investment takes place in cities. That is the model of our economy. And that's true in other countries to some extent, but perhaps not to quite such an extent um, as the UK. And what that means is that a particular type of culture is created around cities. Now, of course, historically, there's always been cities have always been a place which attracts uh, all sorts of different types of people. They tend to be very open to the world, and that's part of the joy of living in a city. But because the economy, all of its energy is in cities, there seems to be very little left over for the towns in the country. And that's not true of all towns. There are some towns doing really well. But the general trend is that towns are losing economic activity. And that creates a kind of cultural divide as well. Because you get different types of people who will be attracted into a city economy and will be good at being open to the world and open to new experiences and moving from job to job and that kind of thing. And then you'll you'll have people who have a strong attachment to where they live and they don't want to leave. Mm -hmm. And they're finding more and more that in the towns where they grow up 
and where they still live, there just aren't the opportunities there used to be. And I think that that um, economic divide is creating a cultural divide that's mm. feeding into our politics and it's all kind of uh, mapping onto itself and creating a very serious division in the country. Mm. So Lisa, you represent the town of Wigan in Parliament. Yeah. Um, so does does what Will's saying match up with your experience with of Wigan and other towns that you visited or campaigned in? Yeah, it, it absolutely does resonate actually more mm. than almost anything that I've read that's been published since I came into Parliament seven years ago. Mm. I, I think for a lot of people in towns across the country, there is a growing sense that is has been developing for a very long time that increasingly people in the major political parties aren't speaking for them. Mm. And we see that manifesting itself in lots of different ways. You know, it's sometimes expressed as real anger and frustration. We saw it in the Brexit referendum, I think. I think we see it often in the conversations about immigration. For a long time, I think, in this country, in the new Labour years and then later under George Osborne, we've been wedded to an economic model that is absolutely centred around cities as the engines of growth and towns mm. in surrounding areas anchored to them to be pulled along in their wake. Now, the problem with this is that people who choose to live in towns, I don't think they have different values to people who live in cities, but I think they have different priorities. Mm. You know, my neighbours and my friends in Wigan tend to prioritise a sense of community, knowing your neighbours, looking after one another. They, they choose to make the compromise not to have the sort of diversity and the fast pace of life, the access to lots of different amenities that you would have in cities because they value those things and the problem with this economic model is it doesn't value those things so what mm. we've seen is that towns have been increasingly hollowed out we've lost our high streets we've lost our shared local institutions like local libraries and shore starts and actually these things matter to people in cities but they really really matter to people in towns that's one of the reasons why people choose to live in towns like mine and so it becomes a political anger that if it's not addressed, can cause real fractures in the country, as we saw last year with Brexit. I mean, it's worth saying that it's, it's not all towns, right? So there are some, and, and that actually sometimes shows how clear it is a sort of economic thing. If you look at the towns which are doing well, so particularly university towns, Oxford and Cambridge, these are places where you have attention from the economy, you have att attention from investors and from different types of institution that want to be there. Now they're doing fine, but they're kind of the outliers. And if you look at what's happening in lots of towns, particularly coastal towns, rural towns, market towns, post-industrial towns in, in the Midlands and the North, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that there's a problem. Mm. But I mean, with all that being said, what, what's new about this report's findings? Like haven't cities and towns always had quite diff different political and economic outlooks on things? Um, in the 18th, 19th centuries, cities and towns, they were kind of how politics was structured. So the urban-rural divide was how the whole party political system yeah. kind of was created. You had some merchants in cities um, with their own interests, and then you had the land-earning class um, with their their interests, and that was the kind of di the major divide. So it's not, it's not a new thing in that sense, but I think in, 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 the, in the current state of our economy, and the degree to how intense this divide is getting, I think it's a really important thing to think about, to think about where people live as well, because that's, to some extent, fueling a lot of this division. Mm. I think that's quite a global phenomenon as well, and the report sort of touches on it too. You know, it was fewer than 100,000 people in Rust Belt, America, who ended up tipping the balance and putting Donald Trump into the White House. You see it 
through some of the discontent that we saw around the elections in France, you know, lots of people feeling increasingly that they're not benefiting from globalisation. And in fact, globalisation is failing to protect and defend the things that already matter to them. And I think we're seeing it as much in the UK as we are across the world, actually, is that globalisation is is a amoral force. It doesn't recognise an attachment to place, which actually is incredibly important to people in towns like mine. And so it's really important that for the first time we look at it through the lens of place and we think if this really matters to people, that they are anchored in and rooted in communities that have a distinct identity then politics needs to take over and start determining our economic priorities. And that means that we do have to start thinking very seriously about how we have a completely different model of growth that invests in towns across the country and invests in people in towns across the country and doesn't just rely on them, you know, getting on a train or a bus or driving into the nearest city in order to be able to get an opportunity. Mm. Not only is that bad for people in towns it's also incredibly bad for people in cities I mean I represent a town on the outskirts of Greater Manchester where most people have to commute out of the town in order to get a job but for young people who want to go to university the choice if they want a career is usually something to do with London and of course then you're adding to the transport pressures the housing pressures the pressures on the health service in london frankly with a group of people who would rather be somewhere else so it you know the economic model that we've got at the moment is just simply not working for either side of this equation and i think the report is new from that point of view because it starts with what people really value rather than starting with you know how do we get more growth and and this sort of trickle-down economics that I think has done so much political and social damage over the last few years. I think it's important also to, to know that there's there are things you can do about it because sometimes when we look at globalisation, we see, when we think, think of things at that scale, it feels like there's nothing you can do about it. This is the model we're stuck with. It doesn't matter what policies you enact in Westminster or the local level or whatever, globalisation is globalisation. That means cities are going to have all the attention and towns aren't you just have to look at other equally globalized countries into germany italy places which may have their own issues and in other respects but which have a very strong network of towns that tend to circulate around uh, still circulate around urban centers but have their own identity very proud about their own identity and have their own strong local economy so it's so. interesting that you mentioned germany because yeah. i visited germany um just after we'd voted to leave the european union in britain and um, I wanted to get a sense of whether something similar was happening there. Uh, the main purpose of the trip actually was to just try and have some, you know, repair some relations and, and see if we could find a constructive way forward. But while I was there, uh, having spoken to politicians in Berlin who were very clear that, you know, Britain was a very different case to Germany and that they didn't have the same sort of problem in towns that we do, I then went out to a town called Cottbus, which is quite comparable to Wigan in that it's sort of post-industrial, uh, about an hour on the train outside of Berlin, and found people expressing exactly the same sentiments right. as they do in Wigan. So they'd had some issues with the rise of the far right, although to their credit, most people, like in my town, had rejected that. They'd had um, real frustration about the European Union and the way that it worked, and a sense, actually, that the things that mattered to them in their town and their sense of pride in their town wasn't reflected in the political priorities that were coming from Berlin just an hour away. And I think, potentially, what's happened in Britain with Brexit 
you know, if there is something positive to come out of that, it's that this could act as a wake-up call to other countries, actually, to think seriously about how we address some of the needs and values of people who just feel they haven't been heard for a very long time. So on that note, uh, we've, we've talked about this this increasing divide, political and economic, between towns and cities. What what are some things practically that we should be doing about that? I think the thing to think first is, as Lisa's been saying, is, is, is if you start with the town and build out from there. You know, we have a few principles. One is that you build local supply chains. That's such an important part of building strong local economy. If businesses are able to buy off other businesses locally and support each other. Um, you take seriously the big part of the economy, which tends to get totally ignored in all kind of government industrial strategy papers and regional devolution initiatives and the rest of it, which is what some people are calling the foundational economy. And that is essentially the economy which is everywhere, whether it's a town or a city or or the countryside. And that's infrastructure, it's retail, it's uh, health, it's education, it's social care. It's all these things which we all rely on constantly and, is, and are just everywhere, but which tend to get more or less sort of left out of any initiative to try and improve the economy. Now, if, you, if we were to take the foundational economy a bit more seriously, that would have a huge effect on towns because towns have a foundational economy just as much as cities. There's a question about infrastructure. You've got to have really good um, transport links, which transport links which, which support local places and don't just drag people away from towns and into metropolitan centres. And a big problem for towns, um, particularly um, re- reasonably near metropolitan centres, is that people who work in the city will spend all their money in the city. And so then they go back to the town where they live and there's no activity in the town where they live. Um, so we think they should do that. And finally, um, there's this question about power and where power lies. And, you know, the UK is an incredibly centralised place, mm. uh, most centralised country in the, in Europe. So a lot of the efforts recently on devolution, we've had various sort of devolution deals empowering Greater Manchester, empowering various other regions. They are very city-focused, these things. Mm. Um, and we think there should be a much more concerted effort to give um, local places more powers so they, so they can respond to their um, local concerns and the things which really matter to them and build stronger local economies from the ground up. I mean, all of that resonates with me, I think, that, but particularly the point about power. I mean, in the end, this is all about power. It's about who makes the decisions about priorities and about the way that things work and also about how they're held to account too. And that, for me, is something that's really missing in the devolution models that we've seen so far. So I'm a Greater Manchester MP. Wigan is Mm. just on the outskirts of Greater Manchester. And that deal was negotiated behind closed doors with no input from people. When you'd ask most people in my town and similar towns like Bolton what it was, they would say, what's Manchester got to do with us? Mm. Um, And there's a real risk then that what you end up with is not pushing power down to people locally, but actually sucking power up. So Mm. taking decisions that were made on the ground and moving them to Manchester Town Hall, where they're made um, by a group of men behind closed doors, and they're all men. Um, as well. They're all men. Yeah. Um, uh, there's one woman actually who who is one of the council leaders, but apart from that, they're all men. You know, I don't want to say that they're not accountable to their communities because they are. They live in their communities and they've run things there for a very long time. But that's not the same as actually empowering people to be able to make decisions. And I think there are some real opportunities coming that if we get this model right, could transform the outlook for 
towns, not just like mine, which is a fairly large town, but particularly, as this report shows, for smaller towns that have been more likely to struggle. I mean, the nature of the new economy provides a real opportunity for people to be able to set up businesses in their own living room. Mm. And so suddenly you don't need a hub in Manchester or Leeds or London where people have to commute to. Suddenly people are communicating in all sorts of different ways Mm. and being able to innovate from their own bedroom if they want to. And so there are some real opportunities coming for us, but it means that we need to completely rethink the way that we do it. I mean, I'll just give you one example. In in Greater Manchester, we've got a, a... We had a plan that is now thankfully being reviewed. It was a growth plan for the next 10, 20 years. And essentially, it was about cr- creating a hub in Manchester, building roads out to the surrounding towns so that people could commute in and out to get work and building a great big ring of warehouses with minimum wage, zero hours jobs around the outskirts. Essentially, as far as I can tell, so that people in towns like mine could get these minimum wage jobs and stay in them until Mm. they retired and so that the managers could commute in on these new roads from more affluent areas of Greater Manchester in order to make sure that they made sufficient profit. And that also had the effect of building all over the green belt which means that those smaller towns and villages that had managed to preserve their own unique and distinct identity that really matters to local people would be gobbled up into the urban sprawl and just become a suburb of Greater Manchester. I've never known an issue to cause more uproar, not just in Wigan, but in all of those surrounding towns around Greater Manchester than this plan. Mm. And that is because, as we saw with Brexit, these are places that are good places to live, where you know your neighbours, where you have good local facilities, where you have open green spaces that you love and that you value and these are all things that have systematically been under attack over the last 10 20 30 years brexit the people who felt most strongly about brexit in my town weren't in the areas where people are completely struggling where they have nothing left to lose they were precisely most angry in those areas where they do have something left to lose, where they felt that this was their chance to defend the things that matter and their last chance to get the political establishment to sit up and listen. So what's the what's the role of investment in all of this? So ultimately, we know that the government and businesses haven't invested in our towns as much as they have in cities like London. Um, is that the reason behind the divide that we're talking about? Yeah, look, I think clearly investment is a really important part of any sustainable economic model at any level and clearly a lot of towns are suffering from a lack of investment but I wouldn't overplay that actually I mean some of the examples we've seen at New Economics Foundation of people just insisting on taking over the reins essentially of their local economy and doing something about it without any investment and just making something happen this goes back to Lisa's point about power so when you start with an asset-based model that says what is here that we can build on and that we can use, suddenly you find towns that may not be rich in economic assets are enormously rich, not just in skills, but also in social assets, you know, community and neighbourliness and social glue that holds things together that can make the, make the basis of a thriving economy. Mm. And that's, you know, it seems to me that we've got this completely wrong because we always start with, right, what's the problem that central government needs Mm. to solve? Well, we don't need central government to solve the problem. We need central government to do two things. One is get out the way and allow us to make our own decisions because we know what those assets are Mm. so we can base our economy around them. 
Um, but the other thing we need them to do actually is restore to us some of the money that is rightfully ours. And I don't see this as investing in a town like Wigan. I actually see this as giving back to us what we are providing because, you know, the history of my town is the history of a town that has basically built this country's wealth through mm. the mining industry. So give us some money back mm. because you owe it to us, frankly. Mm. It's not a question of going with your, you know, your, your cap in hand to London. It's a question mm. of London coming to us and saying, here's a bit of you, here's a bit of what we owe you and and um, let's see how you get on and learn from it. Yep, so empower the towns is the answer, essentially. Hashtag empower the towns, everyone. That's it. That's what we're doing. Uh, all right, so just, just to bring it back to the, the political divides that we talked about earlier, um, if, if towns in economic decline are more likely to vote Brexit, will leaving the EU deal with the problems they're experiencing? Are they going to be happy? I think what will deal with the problems that people are experiencing is to do with the economy. It's probably cities who are going to bear the brunt of a hard Brexit. Mm. So whether bre- how much difference Brexit makes to towns, I suspect, will come on a town by town basis. Mm. Just to give you an example, my town has a major employer, Heinz. Heinz are based in the UK as a gateway to customers in Europe. And so the deal that we strike will have huge implications for Wigan. But I think there are other towns around the country where that impact may be softened in comparison to cities. So I suspect that it may not be as clear-cut a picture in post-Brexit Britain as we might think. Yeah, and and how how is Brexit going to close that town-city divide? I haven't heard a compelling argument from anyone that says it could do anything like what's necessary for what people need in this country. And there's a real risk, I think, that you make this worse if the economic situation gets worse for people who did vote to leave the EU because they were promised that things might get better. There's a risk that that political anger that we saw expressed last year was only the tip of the iceberg and that the Mm. potential repercussions could be even greater. But I think it matters to everyone, actually, in the end, all of this, because whoever wins the towns wins the next general election. It's as simple as that. Mm. So politicians from all parties need to take start taking seriously what people in towns are trying to say Mm. through the very, um, you know, unexpressive political system that we have, Mm. because there's everything to play for here. Mm. Um, And if, you know, if my party gets this right then we could be in Downing Street and we could actually do something about it. And similarly, you know, if the if the Tories get on this agenda and get it right, then we could see a very different result. So there's mm-hmm. a lot to play for here. All to play for. Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Lisa and Will. I've learned very much. Uh, thank you very much for being our guest this week, talking to us about towns and cities. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do think about leaving us a rating or a review in the Apple Podcast app. It only takes a minute and it really helps bump us up the charts, which helps other people discover the show and Will's report. What do you think about the cities and towns debate in this episode? Tweet us at the Weekly Economics Pod. No, week, Weekly Econ Pod with your views. Producers shooting me the evil eye. Uh, but be nice. Be, be, be nice. I mean, just tweet us. No one ever tweets us. Please. Please tweet us. Uh, anything. Stop, uh, stop, stop talking. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. The Weekly Economics Podcast is produced by Hugh Jordan and James Shield and brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. See you next week. Please come back. (laughs) 
Um, and well, what's your favourite town? Well, there's this delightful little place in Italy called Pietra Santa. Oh, you're the worst. <laughs> you're literally the worst. Absolutely not. No, no. I'm from Morley. You're having that. <laughs>